podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Career Profiles podcast. We're really excited for this particular episode. A modern day legend in Manny Pacquiao is the career profile that we're telling in this episode. And this is a fighter with one hell of a story. How many divisions did he compete in? Well, there was quite a few guys, weren't there? Quite a few. And over the course of this two-part Manny Pacquiao career profile, we are going to be documenting all of his boxing career, his trials and tribulations inside and outside of the ring, and of course, the most notable, most famous and most infamous nights in Manny Pacquiao's career. It's exciting. It's one of the most modern episodes that we've done for career profiles we focused a lot on the history of the sport Manny Pacquiao is technically still an active boxer as we record this episode however he's done so much in his career that it warrants doing a career profile on him exciting Johnston really exciting to be doing somebody that is probably known by every single person that listens to this podcast because of how recent he's been in the ring the legacy that he's leaving behind in this sport when he does retire, and of course, some of those fights and some of those nights that we're going to be talking about. He is one hell of a boxing legend, one of the greatest fighters of his era, and probably of all time. He's up there. He is definitely one of the greats. He really is, and no matter what what, what people want to say about him, he is. He, he stands alone. Um, he, he got a... Well, he's one of the fighters of the decade in sort of before we give Canelo it kind of thing. And he's just a legend. The guy is an absolute legend in the ring. And, and it's been a pleasure to not only sort of t- to be able to put all the stuff together to be able to tell this story, but just to be able to watch back some of those fights and some of those, those thrilling nights where we stayed up to the early hours of the morning to see him fight some of the best guys around. He didn't duck anyone. I don't care what anyone says. People will have their opinion on Manny. But he didn't duck a single person. And when you get into the brunt of his career, wow. I mean, one after the other, one superstar after the other, he, he took them all on, took them all on and beat most of them. Not just once, but a few times. Uh, and that alone just stands out. If anything, Sean, he probably is like a modern Fab Four. He he deserves to, he would deserve to be in that bracket because he never shied away from a single fire. And we can't wait to tell the story about a a modern-day legend in Manny Pacquiao. Absolutely. Now, it all begins when he was born Emmanuel Dapidran Pacquiao, nicknamed Manny, born on December the 17th, 1978. He grew up in the Sarangani province on the Philippines' Minadano Island, a place known for abject poverty. This province is the fourth poorest in the Philippines, where boys risk their lives to climb coconut trees to make 50 Cevento per coconut, play basketball on dirt courts, ride four to a motorcycle, get addicted to shabu, which is a combination of meth and caffeine, and even live in the endless crap with roosters and goats and stray dogs and just no running water, really poor conditions. Now, Victor Tatayap, a local political figure and long-time friend of Manny Pacquiao's, well, he, he puts it pretty bluntly about what it was like, and he said, These are the poorest of the poor. They are happy only when they have sex. This area is near Kibrawe, an hour or so outside of General Santa City in the depths of a coconut tree jungle where Pacquiao lived the first 10 years of his life. It was not an easy upbringing. His father was barely present. 
His mother has been quoted numerous times saying that Pacquiao's father, Rosalio, killed and then ate the family dog and then abandoned his family. Yap, who was a childhood friend, said, Manny could hardly eat three times a day. He would borrow a glass of rice from neighbours and they would mix it with water to make a porridge, enough to go around for six children. Pacquiao was considered poor, even amongst the poor. Now Pacquiao doesn't like to talk publicly about it, but he does tell his friends that skipping two, even three meals a day, was not uncommon. It was a good night when the seven-member family could share a can of sardines for dinner, sitting on the dirt floor of their straw hut. They grew mealy vegetables, but the crops were so inconsistent and meagre that the family had difficulty surviving. Yeah, so Pacquiao quit school at the age of 10. His teachers say that he was actually a good student, a kid who looked after others. He would have stayed, but he was not able to do so because his family left the jungle and tried their luck in the General Santos City, which was about an hour away from Pacquiao's birthplace. Now, a childhood acquaintance said he was a bright boy, but didn't finish school because of poverty. You could tell how poor his family was by his clothes. The city the Pacquiao family moved to was and is known for its large seaport, where more than 50 vessels bring in yellowfin tuna, telepia and other creatures that are processed in the five canning plants, taking the country's populous to Manila and beyond. They ended up living near a river where people bathe, wash clothes and hope to escape with their lives during flood season. There were six children, Lisa, Dominigo, Isrida, Manny, Bobby and Roglio. His mother, Dionisa, ended up as a washwoman and sold rice cakes on the streets and Manny swept up and racketed balls of billards, shacks for tips, as well as he sold cigarettes, and a pan de sal, which is a Filipino bread, which he sold on the streets. He was known to give his unsold bread to poor children. The Pacquiao's practiced a medieval type of Catholicism. Their mother would wake the children at dawn so they could pray together. So a couple of years later, at the age of 12, he saw a group of adults, including his uncle, huddled around a television set. And they were watching Mike Tyson lose to Buster Douglas in Tokyo. Pacquiao had always enjoyed boxing, but Tyson's loss seemed to inspire him even more. He started attending the local fights in downtown Jensan. His inconsistent father remembers his son putting gravel into an ice sack taking off his t-shirt to make gloves and striking the handmade heavy bag. His dad said he was always practising boxing from the age of 10 until now. He was a very good kid, no golden spoon. His mother said, Manny has a strong mind and a strong body, just like his mother, except I am stronger. She watched him pretend to be a professional boxer using his speed bag, which was a pair of old flip-flops hanging from a tree. She thought he could be a priest, but Pacquiao, who likes to say, I am a nice guy, did not shy away when friends got into neighbourhood Bukaban, as we know, fist fighting. If another street kid selling bread or donuts encroached on his turf, he would fight to defend it, and he admitted, when I was young, that's all I wanted to do, fight, fight, fight. He saw fighting as a way out of the gutter. He was obsessed with boxing. 
By age 13, he had used his own hand to make a small boxing glove tattoo on his chest. In between selling goods on the street, the young Pacquiao ventured down near the Gensan Plaza to formally run and train. Abner Cadero, a highly favoured fighter, worked out in a nearby gym with his father, Dizon Cadero, who Manny asked to train him. They ran on the oval track. Not the type of running track we envision nowadays. It was a dirt track full of rocks and Pacquiao ran on it and his bare feet. On Sundays, the plaza would be turned into a boxing arena for amateur fights. One of Pacquiao's first trainers was Rodolfo Mukong Nacionales and his wife, Odalisa, who used to control the stopwatch for Pacquiao's training runs and said he was very fast. Manny sold cigarettes after his fights to earn more money and fought for a measly 100 pesos, which was less than $3. However, the malnourished 90-pounder knew how to win by overwhelming his opponents with speed and risk. He was not a skilled boxer by any means of the imagination, but he fought more than 30 times without defeat and the crowd loved his all-action style. Rudy Salud, a long-time associate, said, His courage is such that his fights are half over before they begin. His courage comes from poverty, from having lived that way. Without his background on the mean streets of Medanio, he says, I would never have been a champion. So a local talent scout actually told Abner Cordero, Pacquiao and Eugene Baratug, who were the greatest prospects at this time, that to make their dreams come true, they had to go to the big city. They needed to get out of Saragani province and head for the bright lights of Manila, where their future beckoned. Now, Pacquiao admitted that at age 15, he had a difficult time breaking away from his mother. He told her before he left, don't worry, mama, I will get us out of this. Now, without enough money for an $80 plane ticket, he decided to travel by boat, but he didn't even have the $50 to travel by sea. But his boxing friends, who had already moved to Manila, included Robert Varon and Eugene Batarag and six others, they were able to gather enough money and buy Pacquiao a ticket to join them. He then went down to the General Santos port and sailed away on a Manila-bound ferry, the decaying capital of the Philippines. To say that this part of the world was unsafe would be a complete understatement. When Manny arrived in 1993, murders and homicides were on the rise. There had been many street killings in the Philippines, including those of political activists and journalists who had been abducted by motorcycle riding gunmen. This was a dangerous place. Shootouts and car chases were also a common theme. There was the high-profile murders of university students Eileen Samarenta and Alan Gomez in 1993. The case involved police officers and Antonio Sanchez, who was the former mayor of Callaghan. He was tried and convicted of the crime, accused of masterminding the abduction of Samarenta and her friend Gomez. He was also convicted of the subsequent rape and murder of Samarenta and the torture and murder of Gomez. Two years before that, there was the Viconda murder case, informally known as the Viconda Massacre, which was the multiple homicide of members of the Viconda family. Estrelita Viconda, 49, suffered 13 stab wounds, 
Carmela Viconda, 19, suffered 17 stab wounds and had been raped before she was killed. And Anne-Marie, Jennifer, 6, had 19 stab wounds. Six men were found guilty beyond reasonable doubt of rape and homicide. Three years after Manny's arrival there, there had been 3,000 murders and homicide in just the first three months of 1996, nearly double the murder rate in the United States alone. Manila alone had the highest murder rate of any major cities in Asia, and by the late 1990s, the murder rate in Manila was 30.5 murders per 100,000 people, compared to 8.7 in Tepe, 7.6 in Bangkok, 2.5 in Beijing, and 1.7 in Tokyo. Manila was on high alert with guards carrying machine guns and canine units being used to check vehicles for bombs or guns. The Jensan boxing pals decided to look after each other in difficult surroundings. They arrived with no money, nor any promise of a job, just a place to sleep and a dream of becoming a professional boxer. They ended up in Malabon, where Paulding Carrera, Pacquiao's first manager, took them under his wing. They slept next to each other on the floor. Then one night, a roommate, Eddie Cadalzo, who slept in Manny's quarters, died in his sleep one evening, and no one knew why. Despite the fame and fortune Manny goes on to achieve, he still continues to have people sleep on the floor next to him, believe it or not. When American television host Jimmy Kimmel actually asked him years later about his entourage, which we will come to later, and wonder why they slept around him in his bed, Pacquiao looked confused and was unable to really explain it. Maybe the bond he made with the Gen Sam boys is the reason. Or he subconsciously feels more relaxed and safe. Who knows? It's just a very interesting reason to have all men sleeping around your bed. So the boys actually sold donuts and worked on construction. Although money was never guaranteed. Since they were underage, employers basically took the piss out of them. Uh, they either stole from them or they just didn't bother to pay their wages. Now, during this time, Manny didn't eat for four days because his employer didn't pay him. Now, if a member of the group had money, rice was purchased so all could eat. Manny was such a kind soul that he could often decline his share so someone else could have more. When other boxers would leave the gym as a group to get a bite to eat, Pacquiao would just hang back, never wanted to be the charity case. In a letter to his mother, he told her not to worry, and it read, Life is difficult here. There are times when I eat rice only once a day. His mum said, I wept when I read it. Within these difficult, crime-ridden surroundings, it was inevitable that when starvation and desperation kicked in, people began to make unwise choices. Some of his friends actually developed an addiction to crack However, Manny apparently stayed away from the drug. Vice Governor Emmanuel Pinnell told author Gary Andrew Poole Manny would drink and drink a lot. And he also smoked, although he didn't confirm what he smoked, whether that was cigarettes or crack. Now, Pinnell, who fell out with, with Pacquiao, knew him in the early days and he claimed with Manny there was a dark side to him. There was also a dark side to this time in his life. Many of the boxers caught hepatitis, common among drug users and boxers who have sustained liver damage. There were bar fights and fatal stabbings. 
Two of Manny's best friends died within a year. Manny was directed by his General Santos boxing connections to a well-known gym in Filipino boxing circles called L&M in Manila. It was known as a lucky gym for producing champions, but it was considered to be the world's worst-smelling boxing establishment. Chino Trinidad, a Filipino boxing commentator who spent a lot of time in the place, said he still can't get the unusual stench out of his nose. An open toilet, similar to one found in a prison cell, was in one corner. There was no smoking allowed inside the gym, however cigarette butts would somehow sit on the canvas, probably because many of the boxers would sleep in the ring, which was softer than the floor. The gym was so hot that trainers compared it to sparring in a sauna, and one boxer said, you couldn't breathe. The part owner of the gym, Ramon Moy Lanes, said when Pacquiao came here, he didn't have anything. He was a stowaway, and he wasn't very strong. We didn't expect much from him. He had a big heart. He really wanted to fight. He really trained, and he dreamed that someday he will be a world champion. Lanes would watch Pacquiao work diligently on his developing footwork, and said it was inborn, meaning natural, but his punching technique, in his words, was like he was swimming. He explained that Manny looked badly malnourished, calling him skinny and not very strong. Lenez recalled, He told me he wanted to be a politician and help the poor. This is my dream, he would say. This is my dream. Well, Manny was able to ignore his hunger pains and began to fight in barely legal smokers, which are small seedy venues where grown men would watch young up-and-coming fighters smash 10 bags of shit out of each other while they puffed away on their cigarettes. Some writers would buy him bread and give him coffee filled with sugar. It was clear to see that Manny was badly malnourished just by his physique alone. When the possibility of fighting on television was put to some of the fighters at the LM gym, Manny was eager to get in on the act. He was now only just 16 and two years off the legal age to be a professional fighter. So what did he do? He lied about his age. It was his friend, Eddie Veron, from uh, the General Santos City, who actually helped him fake the license needed by the Games and Amusements Board, an act that would actually get Veron suspended for six months later on. Now, while he was training and trying to build up his weight for his first professional fight, he worked a dangerous job at a factory which was scraping rust off of recycled metals, apparently, which paid him 160 pesos a day which was three dollars and 55 cents he told his mum in another letter now i can eat three times a day she said that the letter also read he missed me he was very young and i could call him once a week manny reportedly won 60 amateur fights some say 64 fights and it varies but 60 amateur fights he had and he won by, I think he lost four, but he, he also won the Mexican National Championship five times before he decided it was time to turn professional. Now, it's no secret that during weigh-ins, Manny Pacquiao, who was so small, he had to put in heavy objects into his underwear so he could reach the minimum weight required to fight. He actually managed to fool the committee and make his professional debut on January the 22nd, 1995, a four-round decision against Edmund Enting Ignacio. A few days after his debut, 
Manny showed symptoms of hepatitis when his eyes and skin turned a yellowish colour, prompting him to seek medical attention. Whether Manny contracted hepatitis from smoking crack, or because he had sustained liver damage while boxing, we will never know, but he did manage to recover in time to fight again just two months later. He even called his mum and told her to watch television the following Saturday. However, she didn't have a TV set, so had to head to a downtown appliance shop where she saw her son outpoint Rocky Palmer over six rounds. Ronnie Nefaniales, who was the commentator for the live television shows called Blow by Blow, explained what he saw of Manny in these early ring appearances and he said, He hadn't a clue, but he had courage. He threw punches like my God from all angles. Totally out of control, but incredible courage. That was the only thing. I could have never have guessed what he would be today. This country was down in the pits. No respect, no recognition, no nothing. He gave it back to us through his fists and through his charisma. Most of Manny's early fights were held in East Manila in an open-air gymnasium underneath the stands was a caged gym where he would train and sleep before his fights. For his first four rounder fights, he was given 800 pesos or $40, of which 15% would go to his trainer. He also had to be careful not to get cut because being stitched up cost more than he earned. Manny rose quickly from four rounders to fighting three six roundabouts and then three eight rounder fights, but before moving to scheduled ten rounders, his fourth professional fight and first knockout win was recorded in an article against Dele Desarito, and it read Manny Pacquiao wearing white shorts trimmed in red on television for the first time on july first, nineteen ninety five. He started throwing haymakers with both hands and Dele Desiterio clad in red return fire and so it went for almost the entire round Pacquiao's head was slopped down like he was looking for a lost coin but he continued to move forward and strike Desiterio's torso he used his right hand to jab and then threw left hooks while Pacquiao tended to hit and then keep his right hand down Desiterio couldn't counter Pacquiao's darting speed but it was Pacquiao's power that would stop Desiterio. Barely more than 110 pounds, Pacquiao pivoted his hips so well, visible only in slow motion, that his punches were devastatingly powerful. Desiterio turned his back on Pacquiao with 19 seconds left in the second round. He was toast. The accumulation of body shots had been too much. That was Pacquiao's first knockout victory. Now, before he knew it, the 17-year-old Pacquiao was becoming a fan favourite and the blow-by-blow coverage began focusing on his performances. On October the 21st, 1995, Manny was given his first acid test against Renato Mendewans in Porto Princia, about 300 miles from Manila. His performance that night was a demonstration of what was to come from this young warrior. The blow-by-blow commentator, Nathaniles, explained, Menduans is getting a bad beating. A bad beating. He's a bloody mess. Pacquiao is looking for the coup de grace. It's over. What a fighter. Manny Pacquiao remains unbeaten. He has survived the first test of his professional career. That victory was Manny's eighth and third knockout. 
However, outside the ring, Manny got into some bad habits. He was drinking too many beers and dating numerous women, something he would continue to do. Pacquiao admitted that he drank and gambled in his early days after he temporarily abandoned his, his Catholic faith. Manny confessed, I lost that for a while when I came to Manila, but God was always looking out for me. Now 18, he was enjoying himself a bit too much. That making weight was now becoming difficult. Some suggested that he was getting cocky after 11 straight wins and five knockouts. Nathaniel's was one of those who said, one day this guy is going to get knocked out. It was always after a payday that Manny would take a car to the beach and down bottles of beer, and someone said he drank like a fish. After a solid night of drinking, the rest of his fighting colleagues would struggle to get out of bed. But not Manny. He would be up and running, sweating out the booze from the night before. It was inevitable that his lifestyle would eventually catch up with him, but it happened a lot earlier than anticipated. His growth spurt and plenty of boozing finally caught up with him one February evening in 1996 when he faced Rustico Torricampo at the Mundaloing Sports Complex. Torricampo was a gym hand. His job was to put up the ring, but he boxed a little on the side. The matchmakers couldn't find anyone willing to fight Manny, who had already annihilated most of the opponents in the area, so they pulled Torrey Campo out the bag. The guy had already been hired to dismantle the ring after his fight with Manny, so he clearly overlooked his opponent, while Torrey Campo had a plan, and he said, I knew after throwing a jab, he would follow up with a straight or an uppercut, and I waited for him to jab, then I countered. Pacquiao dominated the first three rounds, but then Torrey Campo seized his opportunity and caught Pacquiao with a right who collapsed to the canvas. Nefanyales, in commentary, shouted in disbelief, Pacquiao's eyes are crossed, his eyes are crossed. Manny was out of it and the television crew had to carry out, carry him out of the ring while Pacquiao kept repeating the same thing. What happened? What happened? He was completely concussed. You just lost the fight, someone eventually told him. He had no idea where he was or what, what had hit him. It took him half an hour to realise that he had finally lost his first professional fight. But not against a fellow challenger. He lost to the gym hand, which didn't go down well. Afterwards, he knew that if he was going to make it big, he had to be more disciplined outside the ring. No doubt embarrassed by what had happened, he went to visit his manager, Rod Nazaro, and told him, to get me the best 10-rounder in the weight class. He had a point to prove, not only in the ring, but to God too. He not only threw himself into making sure he was the best version of himself as a boxer every time he stepped through them ropes, but also when conducting himself outside of the ring. There were moments of mishaps along the way, however. When he allowed the booze to take over, he would still engage in a few bar fights, but his faith was still massively important to him and to many within the Philippines. A Filipino friend who knows Pacquiao explains to author Gary Andrew Paul, he said, they believe, we believe, that everything we do is not our own doing. That a higher being was in control of what's happening around us. This was even before the concept of Christ came to the Philippines. Maybe it is something innate within Philippines. I have met a lot of people who have come from nothing, became something else and all of a sudden forgot where they came from. Manny is still kind and God-fearing. 
Pacquiao explained himself and he said, God is always with me. When I grew up, my mother taught me how to pray and believe in God. You have to trust God and believe in God. If you feel nervous or you feel doubt, you don't feel good. I show my belief in God through confidence. If you believe, you don't feel nervous. He would visit the Quiapo Church, which is not far away from the L&M gym, to pray morning, noon and night, bowing his head and looking up at the black Nazarene, a.k.a. Naresto Padre de Zeus Nazareno. It is a wooden Christ sculpture crowned in thorns, which arrived in the 1600s and was created by an unidentified Mexican artist. There are many myths that surround the sculpture of Jesus Christ, which the Philippines wholeheartedly believe in. The devotion over the sculpture is so great that the Filipinos formed a society of devotees to protect and honour the idol in 1621, and that society actually continues today, and among its greatest devotees is Manny Pacquiao. People come by hundreds of thousands to pray before the Black Nazarene and try to find a personal connection to God. Gary Andrew Poole explains the lengths believers go to on Black Saturdays. And he wrote, The traditional Easter vigil in the Philippines, where men dressed as Roman centurions nail people to crosses. They hammer through the believers' palms. Although they are having a five-inch nail go through their hands, the Jesuses don't flinch. That would be a sign of laughable weakness. They are suffering only momentary pain for their sins. These men who act out the crucifixion are human, so sometimes they collapse from blood loss and they are nonchalantly carried away. On January the 9th every year, a procession starts at the Quiapo Church where devotees carry the Black Nazarene through the Manila streets and every year, people die in the chaos. I mean, that sounds like a really extreme religious belief, doesn't it? Unbelievable. You've got humans getting nailed onto crosses and trying not to make it look like it hurts and you've got people dying every year oh the black nazarenes carry through the middle of the streets is crazy absolutely insane that but the devotees that they they hugely hugely devoted to their religion and among the highly religious beliefs within manila manny was devoting himself to being a good catholic and of course the best boxer that he could be now following his defeat pacquiao fought his first 10-rounder against Marlon Carrillo, two months after being knocked out, and he won by a convincing unanimous decision, and then took on some weaker opposition, rendering all three to the canvas. John Medina and Bert Batilla were disposed in four rounds, and Ippo Gala was knocked out in the second round to end 1996. But then tragedy struck one night around Christmas of 1996 when Pacquiao, shared the same card as his best friend, Eugene Barutak, on a basketball court in San Paloc. Now, together they had learned how to survive these mean streets of Manila, and they vowed to support each other when one of them made it big. Barutak was a featherweight, uh, and he dominated the early rounds and almost knocked out his opponent, Randy Andiger. Most ringside observers actually thought that the fight should have been stopped, but Andegar got his second wind, and the eight-rounder become a bit of a slugfest. Now, again, we're going to use Gary Andrew Pools, who explained what happened next, and he said, at the end of the fight, Baratug collapsed. Since there was no physician or medical team present, 
some people actually lugged Barato into a television vehicle and Chino Trinidad, a well-known Filipino sports commentator, frantically drove that vehicle to the Jose Reyes Hospital and Baratog was barely breathing and was on a respirator. The physician actually injected him with some adrenaline. Now Trinidad was the only person there for him and he recalled, the doctor asked me who are his closest relatives and I said, honestly, I don't know. They are fighters and we are just TV coverers. We don't know where his parents are. We don't know where his closest next of kin are or is either. Well, the doctor eventually told me that Baratov had expired. Since Manny was fighting in the main event, the organisers elected not to tell him until after his bout. Pacquiao had seen his best friend leave the gym unconscious and was visibly worried. After his second round knockout of Sung Yul Lee, they broke the news to him. Manny took it upon himself to pay for the funeral because the family couldn't afford it and refused to leave the open casket for three nights. Trinidad said, You talk of tragedy, you talk of heartbreak, and Manny has had it all. All his life, the sad story that has befallen him would probably... Well, if you put it on someone else, and a guy would probably commit suicide. Manny is someone who keeps his emotions to himself. He doesn't show the world that he is hurt. He has the ability to keep pain to himself, which to this day helps him. Now after the loss of his friend, Manny did return to the ring two months later and knocked out Michael Luna in the first round. The announcer explained, Everywhere you go, they ask about Manny Pacquiao. He is young, he is colourful, and he keeps busy inside the ring. On April 24th, 1997, on ESPN Asia, Manny knocked out Wook Ki Lee in round one, and the announcer concluded, the shot to the body might have broken the Korean's ribs. To the delight of the crowd who lapped it up, a six-round stoppage a month later set up a title shot for Pacquiao after only 20 fights. He was now 19-1 with 11 inside the distance. His 21st fight would be his toughest challenge yet and would be for the Oriental and Pacific Boxing Federation known as the OPBF flyweight title at his favourite venue in Mandalung on June the 26th, 1997. Pacquiao, now 20 years old, would attempt to take the belt from Chok Chai Chok Vivat, a 29-year-old Thai fighter who had held the title for four years. Well, in a fight that Pacquiao was losing, he turned it round with one single destructive punch in round five. Now, Manny, a southpaw, which is something that we haven't mentioned so far, forced his opponent into the corner. He led with a soft right and then hit him with a ferocious left. Chok Choi was slumped to the f to in the corner, totally rendered, and Pacquiao won the flyweight title. His fans went ballistic, but for Manny, the journey had only just began. Pacquiao actually married Jinky, who was a beauty consultant around this time, and their relationship would come under the nation's spotlight the more famous her husband would become. But we will come to this in more detail later on, probably in part two. For now, Manny made his first defence of the OPBF flyweight title against another tie and knocked him out in the first round. Then he travelled to Tokyo, Japan, where he stopped Shin Tereo, a Japanese fighter, also in round one. 
Next, he flew to the outskirts of Bangkok to take on Chachai Sasakal for the WBC flyweight title. Now, with such a significant step up in class, Pacquiao actually worked out and trained with uh, ASI Tuluva, a popular Filipino pro basketball player. Uh, the title fight was held in an outside venue in Thailand on December the 4th, 1998. And the blow-by-blow -blow television crew were actually given permission to cover the fight. They really begged for this. They really wanted to cover it. And they were hoping that Manny, even with his lack of technical boxing skills, could dethrone the hometown favourite. Once again, which was pretty similar early in his career, Pacquiao was outskilled and by most accounts outschooled as well for six rounds straight. But he was not one to worry about the judges. He just wasn't that type of guy. And we will let Ulfa behind the scenes uh, with Manny Pacquiao, the greatest pound for pound fighter in the world. Gary Andrew Poole, we've mentioned a few times, explain what happened next. So in the first part, he said in, in round eight, Sasaku wanted to make an early night of it. So he went on the offensive. Offensive. Then he mentions what the commentator said. The commentator says, Pacquiao has got to be careful. It's a brawl. What a fight. Gary Andrew Poole continued with his description and he said, Then Pacquiao moved forward and Sasakul counterpunched. It felt like a trap, but his speed proved to be too much. Pacquiao hit Sasakul with a vicious left to the jaw. Pacquiao's quick hand stunned the tie and then Pacquiao slipped in a straight left. Sasakul went face first onto the canvas. This was Manny's first major world title, but because of the weight class and lack of exposure around the world, he was now only really well known and spoken of highly in Asia, something he was keen to change. His first title defence was against the Argentinian Gabriel Mira, and Manny was in confident mood, and he said in the pre-fight press conference, as soon as I see an opening, I will go for the knockout. The moment came as early as the fourth round, and it came with his crushing left hand to the jaw. Initially, Miria was up for a standing count, then put down hard a second time, but to his credit, he was back up. However, he was finally rendered unconscious with a lunging left. Manny was on fire, but he was having issues making the flyweight limit between 108 and 112 pounds. He changed his diet and travelled to Thailand in September 1999 to take on Medgoin Singsarat, also known as Medgoin 3K Battery. Pacquiao was now 21 and he starved himself for days leading up to the fight but still couldn't make the weight and so lost his WBC flyweight title on the scales. He had found himself in an impossible position where he had to fight in a seriously unhealthy condition. He lasted to the third round but was so exhausted and dehydrated that he was knocked out with a body shot that some critics would call a shadow punch. But we know better on this show and we put this defeat down to bad management and terrible advice. So it was no surprise that after his second career defeat that Manny moved up two weight classes to the super bantamweight division. Even with the loss, everyone understood the potential of Manny Pacquiao, who was growing and improving. So he was given a shot at the WBC international super bantamweight title at the Allure Sports Complex now mostly used as a cockfighting arena, apparently, against a guy called Renate Jamil. Pacquiao stopped his fellow native in two rounds to end the year and the decade on a positive note. He then defended the title successfully on the 4th of March 2000, 
with a brutal and scary knockout of a guy called Arnel Baratillo in Manila. The Filipino who resided in Australia stood for a second after he obviously got hit, tried to catch his balance and then dropped to the floor in the fourth round. The knockout form continued when a left uppercut landed on a guy called Shen Kon Chi to end their fight in just 1 minute and 42 seconds. However, on October the 14th, 2000, Pacquiao, now 29-2 and two with 20 knockouts, took on Nadal Hussein in Antipolo City in the Philippines. But this bout proved to be his toughest yet in his new division. Now, Hussein, also known as Skinny, was the better boxer and he outclassed Pacquiao for the first four rounds. Then, Manny walked into just an ordinary jab and fell to his knees. The count went to 18, hit at 18 seconds apparently, while Pacquiao was visibly hurt, gasping for air and on unsteady legs. The crowd fell silent as Skinny went in for the kill, but Pacquiao desperately held on. Trying to find room for the knockout, Skinny accidentally elbowed Manny, and he said in his own words, I was just trying to push him off me, to be honest. The famous Filipino referee, Carlos Padilla Jr., who worked the thriller in Manila, actually deducted one point from Skinny, who was rightly pissed off for the treatment he was getting to this point. As the fight wore on, Pacquiao managed to recover and started out boxing his opponent. Between the ninth and 10th rounds, the fans threw bottles into the ring, and in round 10, Skinny had a cut. Not too serious, it was on his cheek, which forced Padilla to inexplicably stop the fight. It was a premature stoppage and Hussein explained, I felt cheated by the referee. As long as the fighters keep fighting, let them fight. Hussein made $8,000 for his controversial loss while Pacquiao soared to fame and fortune. Hussein still feels robbed but expresses no bitterness toward Manny who he says has developed into an even better offensive fighter. He is smarter and more disciplined and dedicated. To say Manny got away with one, well, that would be an understatement. He was a very lucky boy, but bigger and better fights were within touching distance. After stopping a North Korean in Antipolo City and a tie to retain his international super bantamweight title, then Rod Nazario, Pacquiao's manager, happened to be leaving for the United States to visit family members in California. And Pacquiao, well, he expressed an interest in joining them. Nazario told him he could come along and maybe they could find a prize fight. Nazario had a plan. He told someone at the LM that if I can bring Pacquiao to the US, he will be the most popular boxer in the United States. He felt like Pacquiao had a natural ability, but he needed more improvement, which he couldn't get in the Philippines, and he said, I could tell there was something inside him, but he had not yet discovered it because no one was teaching him. In 2001, Manny Pacquiao, undernourished, unpolished, but a former world champion who was well known in Asia, arrived in Los Angeles. Ten days later, he and Nazario walked into the Wild Card Boxing Club, the most renowned gym on the West Coast. So the famous boxing trainer, Freddie Roach, was in the ring working on the mitts when Nazaro approached him. Roach had no idea how they ended up in his gym, but this was their second visit to a boxing gym in the States, in the West Coast. Their first was actually in San Francisco, in the East Bay gym, but Manny just didn't like it. After Nazaro visited his son and nephew, he 
decided to stay in a hotel a mile away from the wildcard gym and try their luck there. And Azario, he's seen Roach on the, the mitts and he started to butter up Freddie by telling him that he heard that Roach was great at catching punches, apparently, and then pointed to Pacquiao. And he said, I have a WBC international titleist. And Freddie replied, let him sue up. Later, he admitted, I had never heard of him. No idea who this guy was. And Roach noticed instantly, though, the power Manny Pacquiao had in his punches. And he recalled the speed and power worked so well together. Kind of jumped on you. That's what he said. He said he could feel the very, very sharp punches through the mitts. Although he tended to get off balance after a combination, Pacquiao's footwork was also excellent. Roach said, within three minutes, it was like we had knew each other our entire lives. At the end of the first session, Roach went over to his people and said, wow, this guy can fucking fight. Pacquiao, he went to his manager and he said, boss, we have a new trainer. And this was the first time Manny had ever approved anybody as his trainer. And so, that was the birth of the partnership between Manny Pacquiao and Freddie Roach. Boxing historians place Pacquiao-Roach partnership among the elite of sports all-time fighter-trainer combinations. Along with the greats like Muhammad Ali and Angelo Dundee, Joe Lewis and Jack Chappie Blackburn, Joe Frazier and Eddie Futch, Emil Griffith and Gil Clancy, and of course, Tommy Hearns and Emmanuel Stewart and, and many, many more. We don't often agree with promoter Bob Arum, but we do believe him when he called their partnership magic, a match made in heaven. They're so in tune with each other, it's like watching a ballet. Now, Freddie said himself years later into their relationship, it's like the language of boxing, more or less. I think he knows I have Parkinson's because it has been so publicised, but for the first five or six years, he had no clue. We don't talk about that stuff. Our relationship is more boxing, more father-son. The rise was quicker than anyone imagined. First Pacquiao needed an American promoter, so Nazario convinced Murad Mohamed after showing the tape of Pacquiao knocking out Chochkai Chokvivat and he convinced him of Pacquiao's potential. Mohamed started working on getting Pacquiao a prize fight. Talk about being in the right place at the right time. Well, the IBF junior featherweight champion, Leh Lanolo Ledwaba, was scheduled to defend his title in 10 days. However, his opponent, Hector Velazquez, was cut during training, and so Pacquiao's name came up as a possible opponent for the South African. Nazario recalled that he was at the airport ready to fly home when the contract was actually signed, and he said, had I left then, Murad would have gone off and looked for another fighter. Now to prepare Manny, Roach had assembled a squad of Mexican sparring partners to put his new 22-year-old protégé through his paces. He told friends that he would come out from the bell in a full-out war. Roach said, I expect him to beat Ledwaba. He's quicker and stronger. Manny hits harder than any fighter I know in his division. The difference in the fight will be speed. Manny can't stand in front of Ledwaba because he'll get hit. He's got to use his foot speed and look for the angles. Well, the fight took place at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas on June 23rd, 2001, and it was on the Oscar De La Hoya and Javier Castellano undercard. 
Uh, Pacquiao was 32-2 and two with 23 knockouts, took on the 29-year-old champion with a record of 33-1-1-22 knockouts. Now, the instructions from his new trainer, Freddie Roach, at the end of the first round was beautiful, Manny. Deep breath, more head movement. Like in the locker room. When you fake him, he's, he's going to reach and it's going to open him up, okay? Go with the straight left and then hook behind it. Now, Pacquiao put the champ down in the second round, hurt him in the fourth and put him down on the seat of his pants in the sixth round. He managed to get back to his feet and regain his balance about 20 seconds later. And Manny landed that amazing left hand and led Weber was basically finished. He was done. Roach was laughing while Mirad Mohamed sitting ringside showered, we got a winner. Manny Pacquiao was the new IBF super bantamweight champion. He had come to the United States on a whim, and now he was a world champion. Again, no Filipino had ever won a world title under the glitz of the Las Vegas lights. And Led Weber said, I never expected it to be this tough. I was surprised by the knockdown in the second round. It was a total shock. He came on really hard. He just caught me in the last round. Pacquiao smiled and simply said, I was the aggressor. When he returned home to Manila, he was greeted like royalty and he even met with the president of the country who gave him 1 million pesos, which was quite nice because it added to his $40,000 purse, which he had won for the fight as he rode through the streets of Manila as an all-conquering hero. Five months after his victory over the South African, Manny took on Agapito Sanchez, the WBO title holder at the Bill Graham Civic Auditorium in San Francisco. Floyd Mayweather was fighting against Jesus Chavez in the main event for the WBC Super Featherweight title. The Bay Area has a substantial Filipino population, so the place was packed to the rafters with Pacquiao fans. It was a unification fight between two good young boxers, but it turned out to be an ugly one, with Manny sustaining a headbutt in rounds two and six. Sanchez also lost points for a series of low blows and to the disappointment of the crowd, the bout was stopped and declared a draw, keeping his title. It wasn't the end of the world for Manny, especially as his management team began to set their sights on an extraordinary group of Mexican fighters who they felt Pacquiao could conquer on the way to future lucrative paydays. Manny took the rest of the year off and didn't return until the summer of 2002, which allowed his cut to heal. His first successful defence of the IBF Super Bantamweight title was a second round knockout of the Colombian Jorge Alicia Julio, which was on the Lennox Lewis Mike Tyson undercard. He then finished the year with just two fights, another defence against the mandatory challenger Farprakorb Rakiatjim from Thailand in the Philippines. The challenger was no match for Pacquiao who was knocked down four times and rushed to the hospital on a stretcher after spending more than 20 minutes on the canvas. On March the 15th, 2003, back at the Philippines, Pacquiao was put down with a right hook in the fourth round before he sent the Kazakh fighter, Suri Kazan, Yeshimagavbetov, to the canvas twice in the fifth, prompting the referee to intervene and stop the contest in a non-title fight. Manny made his fourth and last successful defence of the IBF Super Bantamweight title against Emmanuel Luricio at the Grand Olympic 
Auditorium in Los Angeles, knocking the Mexican out in just three rounds, which set up the opportunity to move up to the featherweight division and challenge another Mexican. His third in all, and that Mexican was Marco Antonio Barrera, the first big name on this list, really. Now, this fight was the beginning of one of the best sequence of fights in boxing history that would include Barrera, Eric Morales, Juan Manuel Marquez, Oscar De La Hoya, Ricky Hatton, Miguel Cotto, Antonio Margarito, Shane Mosley or Sugar Shane Mosley and Timothy Bradley. Yes, there was a defeat in this sequence, but the level of opposition can arguably not be rivaled in any way, really. I mean, the sequence is impressive and the winning sequence is even better. It all began with Manny Pacquiao, a 4-1 to underdog, going into his November 15, 2003 fight against Barrera. This was because many boxing pundits felt that the extra four pounds would be too much of a jump against the Mexican who was a natural featherweight and the better boxer. Plus, he hadn't fought anyone at the level of Barrera, which is fair enough. And this was his chance to prove the doubt was wrong. Manny actually took a taxi to the fight and then wore a San Antonio Spurs jersey for his ring walk to try and get the pro-Mexican crowd on his side. Did it work? Hell no, did it? They booed him intensely on the way to the ring. The fight was live on HBO, and it started terribly for Manny, who in less than a minute hit the canvas. However, it was never a knockdown. If you've seen it, you can have a look at it. Manny slipped, and replay showed the punch actually missed. Even still, referee Lawrence Cole gave him a standard eight count and everything seemed to be going the way everybody else had predicted. That first round setback seemed to inspire Manny Pacquiao and with his team calm and collected, they stuck to Freddie Roach's game plan, which was to stay close and hammer away at that body. Pacquiao started executing it perfectly and by the third round, he landed a left that sent Barrera down, stunning the crowd and Oscar De La Hoya's business partner, Richard Schaefer, who sat ringside with the golden boy of boxing. Schaefer expected an easy win for Barrera, but he admitted, it was a shock. We couldn't believe our eyes. I really wasn't worried about the fight going in. Everyone was telling me it was going to be a walk in the park for Barrera. It was anything but. Pacquiao threw a whirlwind of punches and overwhelmed Barrera, who was down once again in the 11th. He was also deducted a point in the ninth when he hit Pacquiao on the break. By the end of the 11th round, a battered Barrera was shell-shocked and had nowhere to turn, and despite his pride, must have been grateful for his cornerman, Rudy Perez, stepping out onto the ring apron and forcing Lawrence Cole to stop the fight. At the time of the stoppage, Manny was ahead on all three scorecards, 97-89, 97-90 twice. Manny Pacquiao, now a three-weight world champion and the new Ring Magazine featherweight champion raised his arms, crying and smiling at his cornermen, draped the Philippine flag around his shoulders and Rod Nazario said, at least they're finally beginning to pronounce his name right, in a reference to HBO announcers consistently mispronouncing his name. After the fight, Manny's adrenaline was rushing, but when he was finally able to relax and drift off to sleep, he told friends how God's messenger had talked to him in a dream and told him to mend his ways. When he awoke in the night, he was crying. He said it was at that moment he decided to redevote himself to his faith. When he returned to Manila, again hundreds and thousands 
turned out to cheer his convoy. He addressed the crowd. It was never one for many words, especially at this point. And he said, I did not expect so many people to come out and welcome me. I'm really touched. Now, during his six months away from the ring, Manny filmed some adverts and a movie. He collected awards, attended parties in his honour and campaigned for President Gloria Macapagal Ario in the nation's election, which he was unsuccessful in, by the way. His purse for the Barrera fight was $700,000, but Pacquiao knew later fights could earn him more than a million dollars per fight. He actually went on a spending spree, buying a $15,000 worth of watches. He bought two houses and three cars. His most ex extravagant purchase was a mansion in General Santos, which was only worth $54,000. I mean, $54,000 for a mansion, but you know, it was the Philippines and it was complete with a boxing glove shaped swimming pool. Now his entourage, wow, his entourage, will it increase quickly? And uh, we'll come to his entourage later on. It was an entourage that made Sugar Ray Robinson's look very small. That's all we're going to say for the minute. Nazario told Time that he remembers calling Pacquiao the morning after a party in his honour. He said, I thought I had 30 relatives, but there were actually 100, 150, 200. And they all say they're my relatives. Even then, people were concerned about his over-generosity. And obviously, these hangers on now. And he would just quite simply reply, I don't mind having these relatives. I'll give them a little since they prayed for me for my victory. Already a Filipino hero who is beginning to think seriously about a life in politics, as we said. He even appealed for uh, Filipino unity and wanted an end to corruption. However... He wasn't taken seriously, hence the reason why he failed in his 2007 election or tried to get a, a seat, that was. The fame wasn't all good for Manny. His mum's house was actually burgled and he became worried about his family's safety. So to keep them out of the hands of kidnappers, who a lot of kidnapping in this time, especially the wealthy, they lived behind tall walls and surrounded his fortress with security guards. Moving back to fighting, his next fight, would be on May 8, 2004, against another accomplished Mexican, one Manuel Marquez, who was the IBF and the WBC featherweight champion, who many at this time considered to be one of the best pound-for-pound -pound fighters in the world and one of the greatest counterpunches you'll ever see. While Pacquiao was relaxing at home and hanging out around the pool halls, Marquez had already started training and telling reporters, only in death will I relinquish my belts. Now, we have done a Legendary Nights episode on the Pacquiao-Marquez rivalry, so please do go over and have a listen to that. Now, their first fight was held at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas in front of just over 7,000 fans. In a bizarre first round, Manny floored his Mexican rival three times. The Los Angeles Times wrote, It was so basic, it was beautiful. A simple right jab followed by a thunderous and heavy-handed left cross. Marquez was hit by the same punch, time and time again but even though the Mexican warrior knew the punches were coming Pacquiao was just too quick for him he barely beat the count and it looked like it was going to be an early night but he wasn't a unified champion for nothing and he wasn't going to give in without a fight he admitted in the first round I got careless and got hit with the right hand the plan was to box carefully and I didn't do it I was disorientated after the first round, but once I got my head clear, I thought I won all the other rounds, except possibly one round. From round two onwards, Marquez rallied, winning a majority of the middle on last rounds, 
Although, in our opinion, Pacquiao just did about enough at the beginning to win the fight. However, after 12 action-packed rounds, especially the last, when both fighters put on a show before hugging each other as the final bell sounded, the fight went to the scorecards. Judge Burke Clement scored it 113-113, Guy Jutras had it 115-110 in favour of Marquez, and John Stewart scored it 115-110 for Pacquiao. Their first of the four-fight rivalry ended in a draw. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned some of this stuff in Legendary Nights, but we've got to mention it again because it was just a huge point. And it was the third judge, which was uh, Bert Clements, who had it a draw. He actually made a mistake on his scoring card. He included a 10-7 opening round because he admitted later he did not realise that he could give a 10-6 round, which the other two judges gave. If Clements had scored the opening round 10-6, as the other two judges had, Pacquiao would have earned a split decision. Clements actually explained himself. He said, I just screwed up. I feel bad because I dropped the ball, plainly and simply. You can make a lot of arguments that this was a very close fight, but that's immaterial. The fact is, I dropped the ball. Mark Ratner, the uh, executive director of the Nevada State Athletic Commission, actually ruled that Clements' admission was no grounds for a protest. I mean, that should have just been changed to a split decision. A disappointed Pacquiao said, obviously, I thought I won and I didn't think it was close. I thought I took Marquez's fight away from him. Freddie Roach said Pacquiao failed to give 100% due to his injuries. He actually hurt his left hand after one of the first round knockdowns, had a badly blistered right toe and cramps in his left leg. But Roach believed he definitely did enough to win the fight. There was talk of an immediate rematch, but Marquez wasn't so sure he wanted one yet, while Pacquiao was desperate to go and do it again. Manny wouldn't fight again for another seven months, and it was during this lengthy time away from the ring that things got a little bit difficult. Now, apparently, he had actually began an affair with a waitress called Joanna Rose Bacosa in 2003, and well, she got pregnant. Pacquiao, according to her, was pleased and he enjoyed kissing her tummy, apparently. The baby boy was actually named after him, Manny, or Emmanuel, and was born in 2004. He rented her an apartment, gave her money, and then seemed to lose interest. Going broke, Bacosa claimed that Pacquiao refused to support her and became upset when she started telling people about their affair. She alleged in a lawsuit that he called her and said, What do you want? Financial support? What if I have that child kidnapped, so there is no evidence? She answered, Don't talk like that. I only want a good life for my child. Then came his warning. Talk to your lawyer. Tell him to shut up or I'll sew up his mouth. Now please do remember that these are only allegation quotes that we've brought up here, and it was her word against his. Pacquiao filed a counter-affidavit saying that whether Joanna Rose, Bacosa and I indulged or not in sex is immaterial or inappropriate to solve the questions raised in this complaint. All the accusations of Bacosa are not true. I can't imagine how she did this in spite of the assistance I have given her and her baby. This being the Philippines, the alleged affair reached the country's highest office. The president's husband, the first gentleman, then went on national television and said, why are they doing this to Manny instead of honouring and protecting him? Why are they destroying him? Jinky even commented on her husband's affair and she said, I think 
He already learned from his mistakes. All I can say is I am Manny's number one. Nobody can contest that. He's very loving and lovable. The truth is, this wouldn't be the first alleged affair, but what a man does in his personal life? Well, it's none of our business, as long as he doesn't hurt anyone unlawfully. In the Filipino culture, adultery isn't uncommon. It's almost accepted as fact of life. Families tend to stick together in the loyal Catholic country where divorce is, for all intents and purposes, illegal. Infidelity has its risks, though. It's practically easier to buy a gun than a condom. Plus, Manny was always in a position where beautiful women would throw themselves at him on a daily basis. We're not excusing it, but, you know, it didn't actually hurt anyone and whether those, we just don't know whether those uh, quotes were true. But long periods away from his wife certainly tested his resolve which no doubt he buckled under from time to time. An American-educated Manila-based Filipino actually told all for Gary Andrew Paul a fascinating bit of information uh, when contracts were signed in the Philippines in, in that country. He said, We are a culture that when a business deal is sealed, a naked woman will be given as a gift. Now, you can only imagine how many contracts Manny Pacquiao must have signed. Well, look, it's a different culture, guys. What can you say? But back to the boxing and where Manny returned to Los Angeles in the spring of 2004 to begin training, Freddie Roach concentrated on teaching Pacquiao some techniques on how to better cut off of the ring with his footwork. Now, he worked with him so he could distribute his weight more evenly and so he could throw more power punches, which is a scary thought considering how powerful he already was. Apparently, after just a week of working on his balance, Pacquiao began sparring. In the first session, he beat up Armenian Karen Haritinian so badly that the unbeaten bantamweight went home with a brace and ice pack on his chest. The Armenian suffered a bruised left rib and had to get two x-rays to make sure there were no broken bones in his body. Wow. Roach not only improved his fighter's footwork and balance, they also started working on Pacquiao's right hand, which they actually nicknamed Manila Ice. But while Manny continued to advance in the ring, there was more turmoil outside of it. So Roach was actually upset with Pacquiao's management team and he threatened to quit because he was unhappy with the promoter, Murad Mohammed, over money matters, always. Well, Manny was too nice to see anything bad in anyone among his massive entourage and he just couldn't get rid of Murad. But... He was stuck in a rock and a hard place because, quite simply, the relationship between him and Freddie Roach had grown to the point where they were very close. Manny explained, Freddie is like a father, a brother and a friend. He is good. I learned so much from him. We like each other and we are lucky for each other. So now he had a choice to make, whether he liked it or not, but that would come later. For now, he had a massive fight against another Mexican, ranked number 49 on ESPN's 50 greatest boxers of all time. A slot ahead of Mike Tyson. And that was the Tijuana-born Eric Morales. He had won five world championship titles in three divisions and was ranked at number eight in the ring pound-for-pound pound list. Manny was also a three-weight world champion but ranked at number five in the ring's pound-for-pound pound list. This fight occurred on March the 19th, 2005 at the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas and it was aired on HBO pay-per-view. The bout is the first of the Pacquiao-Morales trilogy, widely considered 
one of the greatest boxing trilogies of all time. This was Pac-Man's first fight in the super featherweight division, but there were further issues leading up to the bout. First, there was an issue with Manny's drug test when the Nevada State Commission stated that he had failed to submit to a mandatory medical examination within the prescribed 30-day period before the fight. Freddie Roach said Pacquiao had been examined at a California clinic on March 4th and the test results had been lost. Murad Mohammed had former FBI agent Warren Flagg call the doctor at the clinic and ask him to fax the test results to the commission. Flagg reported back to Mohammed that the examination had not been done within 30 days of the fight. It had been done in January. Mohammed was then accused of having the test results stolen. Whatever happened, the Filipino had to give blood before the fight, which was not good due to his superstitious beliefs. Manny said that releasing blood weakened his spirit, apparently. He was very superstitious and religious, and he complained that he didn't feel good. In fact, after the fight, Manny told a Filipino talk show host that he felt dizzy and his head started to hurt after his blood was taken. The doctor told him to drink a lot of water, but he couldn't because he was tr- he was drying out to make the weight. He said he went into the fight feeling drained and weak. The second issue was when Murad Mohammed agreed that Pacquiao would fight with winning gloves, uh, different from Pacquiao's favourite pair, which were the Clayto Reyes gloves, known as the puncher's gloves. Manny and Roach later actually called the gloves that he had to wear, was forced to wear, called them pillows. In the end, the fight went ahead and was a classic, let's just say, where Morales adjusted his normal come-forward style and instead he backed away and he boxed on the back foot and counter-punched his way through the fight. Pacquiao sustained a deep cut over his right high from an accidental headbutt in the fifth round, although the referee, Joe Cortez, said it was caused by a punch and again, replays showed it was clearly the head. So, half his face was covered in claret and he could barely see, although it seemed to impact his footwork more than anything else. Pacquiao couldn't see the punches and he stumbled several times. The men exchanged punches throughout the second half of the fight with Pacquiao being the aggressor of throwing combinations while Morales would return fire with jabs and right-hand leads. The Mexican worked the body well and they affected Manny. The fight went to the last round, which was brilliant, but for no reason. It was weird. We have discussed this before on Morales Barrera Legendary Nights, but Morales actually decided to switch to Southpaw for no reason. And uh, basically, he almost got stopped. Pacquiao almost stopped in the last round, even though he was way behind on the cards, and it was only going one way. It was a hell of a brawl, though, in general, the whole fight. The sellout crowd of 14,623 stood and cheered through most of the fight. And Morales could have taken the last round off, but he decided to go toe-to-toe, showing that he could withstand the power of Manny Pacquiao's powerful left hands. They both tasted a lot of leather that night, and Pacquiao's urine would still have blood in it a week after the fight. Morales took a close unanimous decision, with all three judges, Paul Smith, Dave Moretti and Chuck Giampa, giving Morales a decision, 115-113. to Morales was simply the more complete boxer and a better all-round technician, and he explained, I knew boxing was the key because he is so fast. He took a lot of punishment. We were prepared for his punching power and we knew he was quick, but after the cut, I focused on punishing him. He was a very tough guy. I hit him with everything I had. 
I pissed off Freddie Roach, said. The difference was the gloves. And after he cut them off, he waved them at Murad in anger. Pacquiao, who cried when the decision was announced, said, I would have liked to use my gloves, but I had to go with what was in the contract. I will fight him again, anytime, anywhere. While in a Las Vegas hospital, Pacquiao, who took home $1.7 million from the fight, told an unhappy Roach, There is a winner and a loser, and we lost tonight. That wasn't what Roach wanted to hear from his defeated fighter, and he recalled, I thought, maybe he doesn't care that much, because I would never say that after I lost a fight. However, the loss to Morales actually revitalised Manny and made him want to dig deeper and find a new way of fighting, and he said, I studied why I lost that fight and it made me into a much better fighter. My training became harder. We studied our opponents. We would coordinate our workouts. The right hand called Manila Ice would now develop better than ever and Roach said, we really started focusing on the right hand, among other things, like how to approach his opponent from various angles, his combinations and moving after landing a combination. You do really see the changes in Manny from this point and Roach explained how they began to train together. He said, it's not a teacher-student thing as much as I show him a move and he shows me how he'd like to execute it. And then we agree. When I let him interact, he's comfortable. He shows me the way he can adjust. When we can't work out the move, he'll say, okay, let's erase that and we get rid of it. That way, there's no mistakes. With both of us working on the same goal together, He's become as smart as I am about boxing. It's scary how smart he is, isn't it? While Manny experienced some legal issues with his manager, Murad Mohammed, uh, Roach actually helped him or guide him through those this difficult period. It's another difficult outside stuff, which cemented their bond even greater. And Roach said that I care about this kid and I don't want to see him taken advantage of. Sometimes he asked me advice on his wife and kids and stuff like that. You know, we have a good relationship, but we don't hang out too much outside of the wild card because I don't want to make the mistake of getting too close to him. I did that once in my life and then I would tell my fighter to do something and he would kind of laugh it off and I would say, I'm serious here. I'm not your friend, I'm your trainer. So they didn't really want, they were always close, didn't want to break that barrier. That, that, that sort of boundaries and Pacquiao had to visit New York at this time as well in a quest to get back millions of dollars from his now estranged manager so Murad Mohammed and Pacquiao had they were kaput now it was a 13 million dollar suit against Mohammed on five claims of relief and 20 million dollars in uh, disciplinary charges on June 19 2005 Manny had decided to relinquish his ring magazine featherweight title as he expressed an interest in campaigning solely at super featherweight division the ring magazine philippine correspondent ted lerner was informed of pacquiao's decision when he had sent a faxed letter to the ring magazine editor uh, chief nigel collins the letter read i look forward to gaining the ring belt in my new weight class soon Collins, who visited the country in March 2004 to present the featherweight strap to Pacquiao, issued this statement. I'd like to thank Manny Pacquiao for representing the ring magazine so honourably during his reign as featherweight champion and wish him the best of luck in his campaign at £130. Perhaps one day I will have the pleasure of presenting him with the ring magazine's junior lightweight championship belt. 
Upon the announcement, Lerner said, The ring editors immediately installed Pacquiao at the number three slot among the 130-pounders behind Marco Antonio Barrera and Eric Morales. To regain some confidence, Pacquiao took on Hector Velasquez for the vacant WBC International Super Featherweight title on September 10, 2005 at the Staples Centre in Los Angeles. Velasquez was dealt with within just six rounds. Then in one of the most anticipated fights of 2006, Pacquiao took on Eric Morales in a rematch on January the 21st at the Thomas & Mack Centre in Las Vegas. Manny spent more than $40,000 to buy tickets for his friends and family for his return bout with Morales. Before the fight, Bert Sugar described Manny as the greatest one-armed bandit in Las Vegas since the invention of the slot machine. Now he uses both hands, and not since Rocky Marciano has a fighter improved so much with every fight. Pacquiao told journalists that it would be a battle of brains and a fight to the end. Morales responded by saying, I'm just too superior. But the Mexican couldn't help but respect his opponent when he said, I respect both Barrera and Pacquiao as sportsmen, but a little more respect goes to Pacquiao because he gives everything in the ring, like I do. Pacquiao made $2 million for their second bout, his biggest payday yet, and he produced his best performance to date, taking a statement win. So apart from the opening couple of rounds that were ferocious and competitive, it was a one-sided beatdown, to be honest. Tim Dalberg wrote for the Associated Press, Throwing punches at every angle, Pacquiao avenged his defeat 10 months ago and handed Eric Morales the worst beating of his career before finally stopping him in the 10th round of their £130 showdown. It was the first time Morales had ever been stopped in what had been a spectacular career and it came with a spectacular performance by a Filipino who never stopped punching. The end came at two, 2 minutes and 33 seconds of that 10th round when Morales, who had barely gotten up in time from the knock, first knockdown of the round, was knocked back down with a flurry of punches and referee Kenny Bayliss wasted no time in stopping the fight. This time, Restutio Buboy Fernandez, a good friend of Manny's, he was the one that was crying this time in the corner alongside Freddie Roach, while Manny was hugging his promoter, Shelley Finkel, his new promoter at the time, hugging him. Pacquiao said afterwards, I saw, I hurt him every time I hit him to the body. When asked who would fight next, Pacquiao said he would happily fight Morelles again, that Barrera wanted a rematch and that he would more than be pleased to take on one Manuel Marquez again. He avoided no one, saying simply, I'm a fighter, so I fight in the ring. That's all he wanted to do. We mentioned Pacquiao's sequence of fights earlier, but this next sequence of 14 straight victories from 2005 to 2011 is quite simply unbelievably impressive. After the second Morelles fight, Pacquiao went back to his undisciplined ways. He was spending days and nights shooting adverts, partying and gambling in cockfighting arenas to the early hours of the morning. And Rica Trinidad, a Filipino journalist who covered Pacquiao since his early days, said that Pacquiao has two rival beings, apparently, caught inside his body. His partying hard was a factor for his unfamiliar performance against Oscar Larius, in the Philippines. 
Pacquiao was stunned by a right hand in the third round, which reminded him that he must not rest on his laurels. He put Larios down once in both the 7th and 12th round, but the Mexican got up from the knockdowns and managed to hang on until the final bell. Manny took a unanimous decision, but it was a fight he needed before heading back into the Morales' third fight on November the 18th, 2006, back at the Thomas & Mack Center in Las Vegas. On July the 3rd, 2006, the day after winning the fight against Larius, President Gloria Macapagal Arreo personally gave the order of La Candula with the rank of Champion for Life and the plaque of appreciation handed it to Pacquiao in a simple ceremony at the presidential study of Macalenec Palace. For the trilogy fight billed as the grand finale, Pacquiao gained £15 after weighing in at £129 the day before. His training methods for Morales 1 and 2 have been one of rumour that he continuously had his body whacked with bamboo sticks to toughen up his stomach muscles. This rumour would seem to be true as it was mentioned that he was still getting hit on the stomach with not bamboo sticks but a bamboo pole. Roach admitted they did it the old-fashioned way like a rocky mover and they did it correctly. Everything was precise. They had the fancy machinery and all that. The extra weight and training techniques made the difference as he knocked down Morales three times on the way to a third round knockout victory. It was similar to their second fight with Pacquiao entirely dominating, but he seemed to become quicker, smarter and more powerful since their last meeting and Morales was just another opponent put to the slaughter. Pacquiao admitted, I was faster and bigger than him. He was coming to me, but he was not able to handle me. Everything had finally come together in the perfect storm. The right hand, the footwork and the sheer power of his punches. At the end of the fight, Pacquiao, then 27, stood on the ropes and soaked it all in. A short USA Today article noted, Though both fighters have only middling profiles in the US, each of their three pairings had been an international incident. Television sets from Manila to Mexico City were turned into the pay-per-view telecast of a fight pitting perhaps the Philippines' most famous person against one of the toughest fighters in Mexico's long line of famed brawlers. Thousands of Filipino fans travelled halfway across the world to Las Vegas for the fight, while thousands more came up from Mexico and Southern California to support Morales. Pacquiao was guaranteed $3 million dollars for the match, much of which went to the IRS. Bob Arum, who had now edged himself into the to become the promoter of Pacquiao, and Richard Schaefer of the Golden Boys was actually saying that Pacquiao had signed a seven-year deal that began after the third Morelles fight. The fact was, in September 2006, Pacquiao signed and did sign a seven-fight contract with Golden Boy Promotions and accepted half a million dollars signing on bonus. However, after he knocked out Morales for a second time, he changed his mind and signed a four-year contract with Topmate. So the two promotional companies ended up in a court battling for the right to promote Manny Pacquiao, who had an, a lot of extracurricular activities to deal with. So in February 2006, Joanna Rose Bacosa resurfaced and she filed a complaint and accused on City Prosecutor's Office citing Pacquiao's failure to provide child support. On March 21st, Pacquiao was actually hospitalised 
due to stomach problems, which were caused by his alleged extracurricular activities. And then allegedly he beat the crap, the shit out of a shoplifter in a General Santos grocery store. Wow. Trouble, trouble, trouble. Manny denied it, saying that if indeed he beat the guy, he would not have been able to get up for days. He was then linked with one of his movie co-stars, Aramina. The legitimacy of the report was questionable, but of course, the Manila Gossip reporter simply told him that he needed to be more cautious. Pacquiao was not only busy in the pool halls, cockfighting rings and Manila nightclubs, but he was also running for Congress. At this time, it was not suited for Manny, especially with how corrupt politics were during this time. Even Bob Arum, who went to the Philippines to support his boxer, was worried about his decision and for his life. He saw Pacquiao's guns and the bulletproof SUVs, plus he had heard about people getting shot and kidnapped. Arum suggested this was something for another time, and at the moment it made little sense. Right before the election, Pacquiao fought Jorge Solis in a poor performance where he looked worn out. It took him eight rounds to knock out Solis and he didn't even look anything like the Mexican assassin he had been dubbed. On October the 6th, 2007, Pacquiao defended his WBC International Super Featherweight title against Marco Antonio Barrera in their rematch at Las Vegas' Mandalay Bay. It wasn't plain sailing to get the fight on due to both fighting under different promotional banners, but Top Rank and Golden Boy Promotions, who had an ongoing feud, had actually managed to reach a peace and jointly announcement, and the fight was on. As a result, several lawsuits between the firms, including the one at the centre of the dispute, ownership of the promotional rights to Manny Pacquiao, were actually cancelled. However, under the terms of the settlement, bouts between Pacquiao and Golden Boy fighters would be co-promoted by the companies. If Pacquiao fights an opponent outside of Golden Boy stable, Top Rank will promote the fight with Golden Boy, being paid a portion for the event. Neither side would discuss specific terms of the deal because of a confidentiality agreement, but Bob Arum told ESPN.com, I'm absolutely relieved this is behind us and that we will work together to make some great fights. I think it's tremendous for boxing. And Richard Schaefer, this, the CEO of Oscar De La Hoya's Golden Boy, echoed our own sentiments. Telling ESPN.com as well that we are very pleased that we are able to do this. Boxing is the big winner. It's an important day for boxing when you have two of the biggest promotional companies settling their differences and moving on to do things together. We can bring fans great fights. Top Rank and Golden Boy working together was great news for the sport. So going into the fight, there was a bit of needle between the two camps before they met in the ring. Roach had said that Barrera's only chance was to fight dirty. Tony Reva, Barrera's cut man, who once actually worked for Roberto Duran, claimed that Barrera was so prepared for the fight that we have three or four different plans. We're going to see what Manny Pacquiao does. Whatever, whatever he's got, we're going to counter. And then that was when Barrera cut in and, sat and said, we have A, B and C. And in, in, in mentioning all the plans they've got. Although the fight was widely expected to be explosive, it was actually more tactical, with Barrera working behind his jab and circling to his left to stay away from Pacquiao's powerful southpaw left hand. 
However, after a relatively cautious opening four rounds, the fight came to life in the fifth. Barrera landed an uppercut, Pacquiao responded with a left hand and the two exchanged ferocious combinations against the ropes. The sixth round saw more toe-to-toe action, but in the following rounds, Pacquiao increasingly asserted control, moving to his right to cut Barrera off the ring and unloading with flurries of punches before the Mexican could even counter. In the 11th, a solid left from Pacquiao drove Barrera to the ropes, but he fought back with a flurry before being hurt again with another right-left combination. As referee Tony Weeks moved in to separate them from a clinch, Barrera threw a punch on the break, causing Weeks to halt the action and deduct a point. Pacquiao went on to retain his WBC International Championship title by a unanimous decision, with two judges scoring the fight 118-109 and the other 115-112 all to Manny Pacquiao. Manny said, It was a good fight. It was different from our first fight. He is a good, smart boxer. I knew he'd have to box me, and that's what he did. Ferreira admitted after the fight, He has such strong defence. It was difficult to break through. I'm sad, because I lost the fight, and he didn't land many punches. He didn't hurt me. I thought I controlled the fight with my left hand. Ferreira then said this would be his last fight but he did subsequently fight on until 2011. Although Manny beat Barrera, he was not at his best, and Pacquiao admitted afterwards, I was not 100% focused, and I was not too excited by my performances in those two fights. He also told Roach that he was fighting at only 50% and felt bored. Aram summoned Pacquiao to Las Vegas, the home base for top rank, and he told him that he needed to focus on his boxing and avoid the distractions in the Philippines, because he was on the verge of greatness. Aram told the Los Angeles Times, I couldn't get him to concentrate on either the promotion or his training for Solis, and we held our breath as he trained overseas before Barrera. That was ludicrous. It was with much trepidation that we sent him into that fight. Manny took the advice on board from Aram and Freddie Roach, and he confessed, Some people advised me my performances were getting down, and I realised it was true. And that is the end of part one of the Manny Pacquiao story. And so far, we've gone through some of his most notable fights. But guys, I'm pretty sure we're only just scratching the surface here with some of his incredible fights during this incredible run that he had over that period of time, 2005 to 2011. And we can't wait to get to part two because in part two, we are going to be covering the remainder of that run and the remainder of his boxing career to date. So far, it's been really good to learn really more about his upbringing, which personally, I knew he was very poor. I'd watched documentaries, I'd watched the 24-7s during his career and I knew he'd really struggled. But really listening to it and reading it out and going through the research for the episode really brought it home how difficult life was and, and really, it's so far given me a, a true appreciation for how far this man has come. It really has. And um, it's, it's, I mean, at this moment in time as well, the reason why we've decided to quit it here and end part one is because it's interesting. He goes and beats Barrera and you'd think he's on the top of his game. He beats Solis and he beats Barrera. He's not happy with his performances. And he's only at 50%. I mean, it's incredible. He's in the midst of this fantastic sequence of wins. And yet he's still not at 100%. So it's a great time for us to pause there because there are so many other fights. And you're right, Sean, I knew he was poor. I didn't know he was poorer than a poor. No shoes. I didn't know his dad had killed his dog. 
the family the pet dog so he could eat it himself or feed part of the family. I'm not quite sure. Hopefully he was he was giving a bit of the dog to the kids because they were starving. It, I mean, you're that poor. Uh, they have to kill the family dog. I mean, that's how poor he was. It's incredible. And to come from where he came from is is insane. So, yeah, we hope we've enjoyed it. All the outside stories. I didn't know too much about his... He definitely liked the girls, didn't he? Yeah, even though he was married. But, you know, it was it was it's their culture, I suppose. You know, as, as, as it said... It's not really frowned upon, um, and his wife stuck by him. So it seems to be in some cultures you can have three or four different wives, can't you? So yeah, look, I'm not going to knock him for it. He's not hurting anyone. Uh, I didn't know about any of that and the parties and the drugs as well. Whether he did smoke crack, who knows? But you know, by the sounds of things, he probably did when he was a kid. But Jesus, times are tough, and being in that difficult surroundings as well. I hope we paint a great picture for you of Manila and what it was like in the Philippines in general. Horrible place to live in at that time. Still tough now. The death of his friend. There's, there's a lot in there we've covered. But obviously, we can't wait to start working our way through the career, the rest of the career in this great sequence of fights he's on. And then obviously, there's so many more fights, aren't there, Sean? I mean, yep. the bigger fights than the ones we've already been through. Yes, there are. But wow, what what a great start to this career profile with Manny Pacquiao. And I really hope you guys have enjoyed it. And of course, if you've enjoyed part one, please do let us know on social media at career underscore profiles on Twitter or the BTR Boxing Podcast Network Facebook page, Instagram page, TikTok account, YouTube channel. Please do let us know. Leave any comments that you want to leave about this first episode. And the reason it is in two parts is, of course, because there are so much more fights to cover. There are so much more moments to cover in Pacquiao's career. And we felt it was necessary to do it in two parts because between the total episodes, you're probably looking at around three hours, guys. So, you know, it's worth putting them into two parts so that you guys can get the benefit of being able to listen to it in in these two separate chunks of his life and his career. And we hope that you have thoroughly enjoyed this first part. Please do like and share on social media, retweet on Twitter, do everything you can to support us in that way. And if you are a patron of the BTR Boxing Podcast Network, please make sure you do let us know what you also thought about this episode and if you was happy with the episode of course and if you enjoyed the fact you had early access to it and the fact you didn't have to skip through any ads as well of course if you're not a patron and you're wondering what patreon is all about check us out at patreon.com forward slash btr boxing podcast because as we've just said there are things there that we can offer to you as a Members of the BTR Boxing Podcast Network Patreon page, you will get early access to episodes like this. You will get ad-free versions of the episode. Any video episodes that go on there, any interviews that are done, you will get ad-free versions of the videos and of the audio. And if you want to get some additional content that you may have not heard yet, you can also get that as well as we do Patreon-only episodes and we do a series exclusive to Patreon members which is called Boxing Through the Decades where we go through each individual decade and we talk about the notable fights, the notable fighters and at the end of every single decade that we've covered we're going to do a definitive list. So please make sure you have a look at the Patreon page and if you can support us through that means it would be really appreciated. However, if you're not in a position to do so, as we've said, please like and share the episodes on social media. All of that stuff truly does help us. Thank you for leaving your comments on Spotify and YouTube. And that is it for part one of the life and the career profile of Manny Pacquiao. Sports Social Podcast Network.